Good morning. Good morning. There you go. Glad to be with you this morning. As, uh, as Ben said, I am not Scott Pontier. One could only hope. Uh, but Scott is actually, Scott's the lead pastor here, and Scott is uh, on a retreat this weekend with a bunch of our high school students and leaders who are involved in the youth ministry here that Ben talked about. And they are up at um, Young Life Camp, which I can never remember the name of. I always think Great Wolf Lodge. That's not it. Timberwolf, that's it, right? Timberwolf. We have a great relationship with Young Life, and there's a big Young Life uh, retreat up there for high schoolers, and we are joining in with that as Harbor Churches, and so a bunch of people up there, and Scott is actually speaking at that event, so he asked if I would fill in for him this morning. So I'm glad to be here, and in the spirit of high school, I'm going to tell you a high school story. That's always dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> Go back to high school. That's a long time ago. Uh, it was my sophomore year in high school, and I was a swimmer. So I was uh, one of those people who, you know, got up in the morning and swam and swam in the evening and swam in the summer and swam all the time. I was in the pool like all my life from age seven until about 20. I think I was in the pool every single day. And uh, in high school, I had become a diver. And so I was, uh, I was on a really good team from Zealand. If you know Zealand, they're really good at, at, at swimming. At least they have been in the past. And, um, and I was on uh, Coach Tory's team. And Tory's kind of an infamous swimming coach in Zealand. And we were coming into a place where uh, we had, most of the team had swam together since we were like seven years old. And now we're in high school and we were starting to win and we were starting to, you know, get along, you know, get along in the, uh, moving towards winning state was like our whole big thing, right? And so my sophomore year in high school, I made it through regionals and I got to the state meet and I was actually ranked in state uh, with, with my friends and was supposed to place in the top 12, which uh, I think the top six, you get points. But anyway, um, so I'm really excited about this. The team's really excited about it. And, um, and in diving, we had this uh, kind of series. You would, do, you would do like five dives, and then you would, there would be a cut, and then you would do three more, and then there'd be a cut, and then there'd be a, like a final three. And I was doing a fairly new dive for me at the time. It was a uh, back one and a half pike. And, and I had done it several times in meets. I did it at regionals. And, uh, and I was actually not bad at this thing, you know. And so I would, I would get up on the board, you know, and go up backwards, flip my feet back, pull them into my nose, you know, come out, bam, nail that thing. And I visualized it like over and over and over. I had done it over and over and over, practiced and practiced and practiced. Now I'm at the state meet. I think it was like my third dive or something like that. And I get up there and I, you know, visualizing. And as I go up, they tell you to do that right in sports. Visualize yourself. I'm going to nail this thing, you know. So get my arms way up. I flip back, point toes, pull the knees in. I come out. And as soon as I come out, I look and I see the ceiling. (laughs) Now, that's not supposed to happen. I'm supposed to see the back wall, but I see the ceiling. And in the midair, my mind, you know, it's like, it's like, You go into slow motion at this point, right? Uh, I'm sure I hung there for probably like three minutes or something, right? (laughs) Because my mind's going through all this stuff. Um, And then there was an oh no, and then it happened. I hit the board. I'd come out flat instead of coming out, you know, towards water. And I'd come up above the board, and I hit the board with the back of my feet. Uh, And as you can imagine, flipping like that and hitting the board, you know, I'm cut my feet, you know, I'm un- so now I'm under the water and there's all these people watching, right? And it's the state meet, right? So, and my team, you know, is expecting me to pull my weight and, uh, and here, I, I think I was under the water for 20 minutes, maybe, because <laughs> you don't want to come up, right? 
I had failed everybody. You know, I'd failed myself. Uh, you know, I was going to nail that thing. I'd failed my coach, uh, swimming coach and my diving coach. I failed my, my brothers, you know, and uh, now all the stuff's going through my mind. Are we not going to, I'm not going to win now. You know, all that stuff. I was a failure. At least that's how I felt, right? And I guess we can look at it objectively. Like if there's a success, right? Success is nailing that dive. Success is nailing all five dives and then eight and then 11 and win. That's success, right? I was not a success. I was a failure. Um, in my head sometimes, now that's just a high school story, but in my head sometimes, tell me if this is you this morning. In my head sometimes I'm way better than I really am. Are you like that? Like I can visualize myself as a better person than I actually am. In fact, most of the time, I'm amazing until I'm real. And then I actually end up in my real life, in my real person. And I, I have a confession. I have actually a bunch of confessions I want to make to you this morning. Uh, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I cut off other drivers when I'm driving. And usually I don't feel bad about it. Sometimes I'm driving down the highway and somebody's coming in to merge. And I'm like, nope, you're not merging today. You're going to have to hit your brake. I'm not as good at my job as I'd like to be. Um, I often feel like a failure in my home. Uh, the things that I want to do there and I want to accomplish don't get done. Uh, I remember standing up in front of a church with a pastor and a whole bunch of people making a whole bunch of promises to my wife who would then be my wife. I've failed at living out those promises. I've, I remember being in the hospital, uh, holding my little kids. I mean, like, I want to be an amazing dad. And I've failed at being a father uh, often. I've failed my friends. I've not been there when I should have been. I've not noticed when they're hurting when I should have. I'm, I, I have two brothers. I'm not a great brother. Um, and you know what? I don't call my mom very often. Have you ever really, really failed at something? Maybe that's just too easy, right? Like, have you ever really succeeded at anything? I mean, I'm sure you have, right? Like, there's times when I, I celebrate success and I celebrate what, I, you know, what I've done. But really, if I'm really honest with myself, there's this ongoing failure in my life. Something, you know, and it's important stuff, right? Like my mom and my brothers and my wife and my kids and my ministry and my calling. And, and I can visualize it and I can see myself being the person I want to be. And then, and, then, and then I'm not. I want you to just think this morning a little bit about times that you failed. Times when you visualize yourself being way better than you are. When in your head you're the person that you, re and you are that person, but somehow you can't, you can't actualize it in your life like you'd like to. Maybe it's a, you know, it's a funny thing that you can tell a high school story, you know, or something that happened, but maybe it's not so funny. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's bigger. Maybe it's something that really, really affected your life. Uh, maybe, maybe you lost a big contract or you lost a job or maybe you lost a friend or you let down a family member or, or maybe you failed in your marriage. Maybe you wanted to respond differently when you heard the news from your family member, but then that thing came out of your mouth, right? You ever had this? I have it all the time. Stuff comes out of my mouth. I'm like, ah, 
can't get it back, right? And you said the thing and it hurt and now it's gone. Maybe you were overworked, overstressed, overstretched, and you thought you had the best intentions, but then you botched the biggest deal of your life. And your boss wasn't happy and, and everything trickled from there. Maybe, maybe you only knew what you knew and with the best intentions, you've invested your fortune and you lost it. Or you bought that house that turned out to be a train wreck that you thought was going to be amazing. Or you left a good job and you took the greener grass job only to find that the greener grass was actually dead grass and everything was terrible with it. And you regretted that you left the other thing and you wanted to go back and then they wouldn't take you back. I don't know. Maybe if you put all your eggs in one basket and it was a rotten basket. Maybe you trusted a friend or a family member and uh, you thought they were trustworthy and you convinced uh, your husband or wife it was a good idea and it wasn't. I don't know. Do you have these things in your life? I have them in my life. Maybe someone close to you was hurting right under your nose, like right there. And maybe you even saw it and you thought, I'm going to be the best friend that I can be. And then you weren't. And you let them down. Have you ever made big promises you couldn't keep? I wonder this morning, if you're like me, um, I used to say this a lot. I haven't said it in a while. I'll say it again this morning because I think it fits. Um, I'm human. Are you human this morning? Are you a person? Because if you are, you, you've probably experienced these same kind of things where in your head, you know, in your head you can see it, but you just can't be who you want to be. This morning I want to talk about failure. I want to talk about failure. And, um, Failure is kind of a bad word in our world today, I've noticed. One of the things I've noticed a lot in the culture recently is that, like, it is just not okay to say that you're a failure. It's not okay to admit that you did something wrong and you were, you were like, I, I was wrong. In fact, most of the time, if you say you're wrong, it's because it's somebody else's fault, right? Somebody else did it and I'm going to blame somebody else. But deep down, we know that, like, I, I was the one that didn't do what I was supposed to do. You know, Brent, do you know Brene Brown, some of you? Maybe you've seen Brene Brown, Vulnerability, right? And she tells us that we have the courage to be vulnerable, right? And like we all watch the TED Talk and we're like, yeah, man. And then we buy the book and we read the book and we're like, yeah, I'm going to be vulnerable. But we know that it's not safe to be vulnerable, is it? It's not safe to come up on a stage and say, I'm a failure. And I kept it pretty generic, right? Because I don't trust you. I mean, I trust some of you that are my friends that I've gotten close to, but... Some of you have let me down too, right? And I've let you down. So, so is Brene Brown right? Like, can we actually be vulnerable? Can we admit that, that, that we're failures? Honestly, I would, I would love to see this change in the church. I, uh, I'm a student of the church, as many of you know. Um, I, I pay a lot of attention to what's happening in the church around the world and in our churches. And one of the things that I lament the most is I remember this phrase from when I was younger. The church is the safest place in the world. Anybody ever heard that? Would anybody in our culture say that now? It doesn't feel like a safe place, does it? Like there might be people in the church that have been a safe place to us, but man, I would love for the church to be the safest place in the world. I wish that we could talk about the places where we haven't been who we wish we could be and we could be honest and vulnerable about that. Grace is supposed to be the key word of our community supposed to be, right? And many of us have experienced the true power of that grace. We have, we've, ex, 
many of us are here, honestly, we're in the church because we've experienced that. We've experienced the grace of Jesus. We've experienced the grace given by other people. And yet there's a lot of people who won't even darken the door of a church because they've been hurt by it so much because so often we're not safe. We say grace is the key, but then we expect an awful lot of people, don't we? Did you know today, uh, maybe you've seen the, the news on this. I can't remember when it came out several months ago. Um, that church attendance in America is below 50% uh, for the first time, 47% according to Gallup. Um, And this, I think, is the first time in American history that that's true. Below 50%. And, by the way, I'm bearer of bad news today. You're like, where is Scott? Scott's always nice to us. I'm telling you you're a failure and like the church is in trouble. But listen to this. So uh, it's worse because here's, here's what the story said uh, about, this is from Gallup. In 2020, 47% of Americans said they belong to a church, but there's not a period there, to a church, synagogue, or mosque. Okay, so if we're just talking about Christianity, right? I mean, this is 47% including Jews and Muslims. Right? So the Christian number is even lower than that. I work, so I work really hard as a pastor to tell you the truth. <laughs> so today I'm going to tell you the truth. And here is the bad news truth today. And I want to warn you, this is, we're not stopping here. Okay? Um, I'm not going to end with bad news. <laughs> if we're honest, we're all failures. That's the bad news today. That's true of me. I wish I was a better person than I am. I can visualize the kind of person that Jesus calls me to be, and often I can't, haven't been able to be that person. I've admitted I'm a failure. I'm going to invite you this morning to just to go there with me a little bit. You don't have to tell your neighbor, I'm not going to have you do any of that. Like, just, just open up your heart a minute and, and allow yourself to recognize that maybe the good, and it's not just because of big expectations of other people like, like your mom or your dad or whoever, right? Like it's because God created us to be these tremendous, amazing, beautiful things, right? These beautiful human beings. God has a vision for us that we haven't lived up to. I mean, if you're, if you're a committed Christian, like you, you see that, right? And you understand the power of sin and evil in your life. And as you pursue him and you work on following the Holy Spirit and being transformed, you know, like I'm man, I accept the gospel, I've been transformed, and I still am human. I'm still affected by the sin and evil in my life. This last week I was talking to a friend of mine, because uh, it's, it's not just those of us who aren't quote-unquote successful. I was talking to a friend of mine about a friend of mine, which is always dangerous. Be careful when you do that. Uh, and the friend of mine was telling me how he had a conversation with the other friend who said, uh, you know what, I've been successful in every area of my life according to success standards but I'm not happy and I'm not finding meaning in my life, right? So even the people that you look at and say like, oh, they've made it. (laughs) They're the successful ones. They're not failing. There's still something missing. I, uh, I grew up on hymns. Uh, I grew up in the church. Um, some of you maybe grew up in hymns and I have, uh, a, a weird superpower, I can remember the words of all kinds of hymns from when I was a kid. And they come up at the weirdest times. And there's a, there's a hymn that came into my mind. It comes into my mind fairly regularly. Um, and uh, it's going to come up on the screen here in a minute. Um, then we shall be where we would be. Then we shall be what we should be. Things are not now, nor no could be. Soon shall be our own. Like a weird tongue twister, right? Does anybody remember this song? 
Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit. Three and see, I remember all the words. But I always remember this kind of weird verse at the end. So in this hymn, the hymn writer is talking about the end of times. Like we go through our lives, we come to the end of times. And he says, then we shall be where we would be. Then we shall be what we should be. Do you see what he's getting at? He's saying like, someday, someday I'm going to be the person that I visualized. Someday I'll be the person that God intended me to be. Things that are not now, but could be, right? Someday I'm going to be the dad I really want to be. Now my kids are getting a little older and I'm running out of time to be the kind of dad. So I'm like, oh, I'll be a better granddad than I was a dad. You know, like someday I'll be who I want to be. Now, Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm just trying to say that the reality is that we are not what we could be and we are not who we should be. And we long deep down for a time when like the hymn says, we shall be what we should be. I have that deep longing in my life. I can recognize it. Now, our culture, we don't want to talk about sin, right? But there's a gap. There's, I don't know what you want to call it, but there's a gap between who I should be and who I am. And I, I think that gap is the effect of sin on my life. There, there's something that pulls me away from being the best person that I can be, that God created to me to be. Now, we're, I told you, we're just going to start with failure. But I, wanna, I wanted to set the stage because I think it's really important. We're going to jump into Matthew now. We're going to be in Matthew 26. If you have a Bible, it'll come up, up on the screen. If you're, if, you're, uh, if you're new this morning, I'm sorry you came in the week I'm here. Uh, <laughs> it's usually not this depressing for the first 10 minutes. Um, but we're, we've been in the book of Matthew all year and we're coming to a conclusion of the book of Matthew. So we just started a new series in this big series, right? And we're ending. And it's really interesting because we're ending with the, with the story of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion and death and then with Easter. And we're doing that during Christmas. Doesn't that feel a little odd? And yet it's not. Because Christmas is the lens through which we see... Easter is the lens through which we see the Christmas story. If we don't see it through that, then it's just pure sentimentalism or fun stories that we can tell while drinking hot chocolate. If we see the Christmas story through Easter, it changes everything. And that's what I want to talk about uh, this morning. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 26, and it's long. Uh, There's two stories here that are one story. Um, So we're going to read from 36 to, I think, 56 on the screen. You can just listen if you want. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, it is, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, 
Are you still sleeping and resting? Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Here comes the second part of the story. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, one of the twelve disciples, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the man stepped forward, the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword and drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once? put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Do you see it? I gave you a lens in which to see the scripture this morning. You know, one of the things I try to teach when I teach how to read the Bible is always look for yourself in the passage. Like, which character am I? So if, if we think about the lens of failure and not being our best selves, and you read this story through that lens, do you see it? Do you see all the failure all over the place? Jesus is in a tremendous time of need here. I mean, this is this is... Other than the cross, this is probably Jesus' greatest time of need. I wonder if you've been in one of those spots where you're in a great time of need. Maybe, maybe you phoned a friend. Okay, let, let's, let's imagine for a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give you an imaginative story here that's similar. Imagine your friend calls you. It's late at night, and your friend is really, really depressed. It's, it's late. She can't sleep. She's super sad. She's on the verge of tears, and you can hear because of the trembling in her voice, and she asks you to come over. Now, you're exhausted because it's Thanksgiving night. You just had all your family and friends over. You had a huge party. You had a couple too many glasses of wine, you know, and so you've been exhausted. You were up the whole night before getting the whole party ready, and your stomach is full. Your day's been full of laughter and stories, and maybe even the lion's one. It's been a day, you know? I mean, emotional. And the last thing you want to do is go over to your friends and, and just be present. But, but you love her, right? And, and you get over there and she's having an emotional meltdown. Um, but that's when it happens. You, your friends, you've known her for years and she just pours everything out to you. And she's talking and she's going on and on. And the next thing you know, you don't know anything because you're asleep. Because you're so exhausted. Have you ever been that exhausted? Or like even in a moment that's really precious and important, you just can't hold together in your eyes. You're holding your eyes open, you know, and, and you fall asleep. And she wakes you up and she's upset because she was already upset. And now you're, fr- and how could you fall asleep? Didn't you think this was serious? Aren't you my friend? Couldn't you listen? Jesus says this to Peter, to James and to John, his three closest companions. These are Jesus' closest friends. It's like, are you kidding me? 
I am in the deepest place of depression that I've ever been in. I am distraught. And you couldn't stay. Look at the, look at the way Matthew describes it. It says that Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's not just a daily sadness, is it? Did you know that Jesus felt this deeply? Like Jesus, I use the word depressed. I think that's a good word. He was overwhelmed with sadness to the point of death. Did, what does Matthew mean by that? Like, does, was Jesus, does Jesus contemplate suicide? Like, I, I don't think so, but maybe. I mean, he, he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And just think about that for a moment. This is Jesus. He must, he's got the weight of the world literally on his shoulders. And then his friends fall asleep. He's at rock bottom. And his friends fall asleep. And it doesn't just happen once either, does it? Did you notice? Like, it happens. Jesus is like, really? Come on. Like, work hard. I know it's tough. It's been a long day. I mentioned the Thanksgiving party because they had just done the, the last supper, supper. That's a big day, Right? It's a big day of the Passover and they had eaten a bunch and they had had the the seven cups of wine, right? And so, I mean, and now it's late at night. That's what it feels like. They failed their friend. He was, I imagine, disappointed. I wonder how, I wonder, you know, if I put myself in the position of the people in the story, Peter, James, and John, I wonder how they felt. Like they know they disappointed Jesus. They know they messed up. Okay, all right, Jesus is like, all right, we're going to pray. We got you, man. We got you. Fall asleep again. Happens again and again. I wonder how Jesus felt at that moment. I wonder how their friendship was challenged at that moment. And, and here's what's interesting to me, though. Here's what's interesting. Though we don't know Jesus' affect, like you can read Jesus' words different ways, right? I read them a little way differently today maybe than you've heard them. Um, we don't know Jesus' affect, but it doesn't appear to me that Jesus was angry. Maybe. I mean, you can read it that way. I, I don't think so. In fact, if you notice, I think it's the third time Jesus doesn't even say anything. He just lets him, eh, I guess I'll let him sleep. It's kind of like when I'm preaching and you fall asleep and I'm like, oh, well, you know, it happens. It's all right. He had a good night. Uh, you know, Jesus just lets, he, he doesn't appear to be angry. And, and it's not because a, Matthew can't say a, something about Jesus' emotions because he just told us that he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Matthew has told us that Jesus has been angry before. He's told us when it's happened. Jesus doesn't appear to be angry here. I think I would have been angry. <laughs> uh, I think I would have been mad. I think I probably would have said some things to my friends that probably wouldn't have been nice because they failed me, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Notice, not only does Jesus not get angry, I just want to dig in a little bit with you. Jesus doesn't push the disciples away. See, when my friends let me down, I withdraw. I'm like, fine, you don't care about me? Right? Like, I withdraw. I, I, I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want to expect something from somebody that's going to care for me that's not going to, and so I withdraw. Not Jesus. I mean, he withdraws to pray. But notice he keeps going back and he never rejects them. He doesn't push them away three times. He goes back to them. I, I probably would have said enough with you guys. You're just not good enough friends. But, but it, does, it doesn't end there. As we read on in the story, so, so that's part one, right? Jesus' three best friends fail him. 
But that's not the end of the story. We go into the next part of the story. And then there's this guy named Judas. Now, I think Judas gets a bad rap in the scriptures sometimes because we see him as this terrible person. I don't have time to go into the details of this, but I think that uh, Judas was actually trying to help start the revolution. And he thought he was on Jesus' side. He thought he was, I think he thought he was helping. Can't prove that, but there's a number of reasons why I think that's the case. Regardless, what's very interesting in the story is Judas comes to betray Jesus. He comes with people with, with clubs and with weapons. He leads them there. He sells, you know, he sells uh, Jesus with some silver. And then he comes and he, he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus receives the kiss. And Jesus knows what is happening. He knows because if you go back a little bit in the story to the Last Supper, Jesus is having the, the great Last Supper that we, that we celebrate communion from, right? And Judas is there at the Last Supper. Now, if I'm writing the story, Judas betrays him and isn't at the Last Supper. But that's not the story in the Bible. The story in the Bible is Jesus says, oh, you're my betrayer? Come to the table. Doesn't push Judas away either. In fact, Jesus says these words. He says, uh, he asks, invites him to dip into the, to take the bread and dip it in the cup in the Last Supper. And then here, I just want you to focus. You've got to pay attention to your scripture, okay? You've got to read what's there. You've got to pay close attention. Look at what Jesus says. He says this to Judas. He receives the kiss, and then he says this. Do what you came for. What's the next word? What? It's not the word that would come out of my mouth. But Jesus, in the moment of betrayal, calls his betrayer a friend. And then another story of failure, and I'll just quickly go through this one. Peter pulls his sword, right? Well, if Judas can't get the rebellion started, I'll get the rebellion started, right? They thought that Jesus was the Messiah who was going to create a revolution and lead them into a place where the Jews would be released from their Roman captors. And many scholars, and I believe this too, would say that they believe that Jesus was kind of hedging his bets here. And so Peter and Judas are part of the same cloth, trying to push the revolution forward. And Jesus is like, hang on, Peter. Did you, did you not hear what I said? Imagine that moment again for Jesus. How many times has Jesus had this conversation with Peter? Oh, Peter, did you misunderstand me again? <laughs> How many times did the disciples keep the children from Jesus? How many times did they keep the lepers from Jesus? How many times did they try to tell Jesus he didn't have it right? And here it happens again. Peter fails Jesus. There is so much failure in this story, right? So much failure in this story. And as I reflected on the passage, I wondered why Jesus wasn't angry. I wondered why he didn't express his disappointment. Because I know that I would. But then, again, Three verses. Let me show you the three verses. I think why Jesus didn't express his disappointment and anger. First one is this. Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Second one. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Third one. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Jesus was human. 
Jesus knew what it was like to have a vision of obeying God and doing the right thing. Jesus had a vision of what it was like to be perfect, and he struggled himself with it. He said, I see it. I can visualize it. I know what it's like, and I'm being tempted and pulled away to something else. Yet not as, you, as I will, but as you will. I will be obedient. And here's the deal. Because Jesus in that moment was able to see, sometimes we can't even see, right? Or we don't choose. We just do the wrong thing. Jesus sees it, and he obeys, and he chooses the right thing. Jesus follows the way of the Father, And before we get to the good news, I just want to share with you what I think is the interesting news that Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He knows what you feel. Not only is he overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he also realizes like that's the right way and it's going to be hard and I don't know if I can do it. But here's the good news. Though Jesus was human, he didn't give in to the sin of his humanity. He did the right thing. And here's the even better good news. It is Jesus' obedience when all other humans have failed that provides the grace that fills the spaces of our failures. Let me just say that one more time. I'm going to read it, make sure I get it right. It is Jesus' obedience when all other humans have failed, including us, that provides the grace that fills the spaces of our failures. The Bible is a story of human failure. From Adam to Cain to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to David to Solomon to Israel to Judah, the whole story and everybody in between, it's a story of colossal human failure. So, yeah, I'm a failure, but mm, we're part of a long tribe of failures. (laughs) And it's because of that failure that Jesus came to this earth. It's because of our failure that we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus came as a little baby in a, in a little manger to give his life for us. The gospel of grace is actually good news because Jesus' obedience to the cross and to death is what we need to fill the space. We need that grace in our life. Grace is the space between your ideal self and your real self. Grace is the space between who you were intended to be and who you actually are. Grace is the space between what you intended to do and what you actually did. Grace is the space between what you hoped for and what you got. Grace is the space for those of us who never become what we hoped we would be. Grace is for people who have tried, have failed, and have been found wanting. And I'm one of those people. Grace is for real humans. It's for people like you and for me. I want to take a Christmas turn and then I'm going to close. Um, I want to take us to the book of Luke. When the angels make the announcement of Jesus coming, they say this, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, in that story, the angel appears to shepherds. Shepherds are the lowest of the low in the society, the losers, the outcasts. And the angel decides to make the announcement to those people. And then the announcement says, not Jesus came for the good people, not Jesus came for the ones who did it right, 
Not that Jesus came for the successful people, not for the ones who didn't sin. Jesus came for all people. In fact, Jesus said that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. The story of grace in the gospels is the story of Jesus coming for failures like you and me so that we can become the people we were intended to be. Now that's a whole other sermon. I'm not going to do that this morning. I just want to rest for a moment on this spot and I'm going to end here. Let me give you three points to, uh, to end. First, even when Jesus is disappointed in you, he's not angry and he hasn't rejected you. Now that may seem like a simple sentence, but I have met so many people and I have felt this myself that when I'm disappointed in myself and I know that God is disappointed in me, I feel like he's angry and he's rejecting me and that is not the God that we serve. It is in that moment precisely, actually, that Jesus loves you and calls you friend. Jesus is second. Jesus is more interested in a relationship with you and your friendship than with your perfection. Some of us grew up in really hard homes where we were expected to be perfect. And so then we projected that on God. And Jesus does even say, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. But look at how he treats the people around him. He always says, hey, I'm perfect people, imperfect people come. Be my friends. Be in relationship with me. And then third, your pursuit of holiness and wholeness is a response to the grace of Jesus, not the other way around. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough. But with Jesus, he can pour grace into the space of your failure and he can transform your heart and your life so that you begin to become the person that you were intended to be. And then someday, because of that grace and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you shall be what you should be. And you can be who you could be. But you cannot be who you could be and should be without the grace of the Lord Jesus. And that takes submission and surrender to his love, even when we feel rejected in our failures. So here's what I want to do. I want you to have you close your eyes a moment. We're going to close in prayer. And uh, if you have coffee in your hand or something, maybe sit on the floor. And I want you to open your hands, put them before you. I'm asking you to open your hands because I, I think it's important for us to receive grace. Grace is sometimes hard to receive because it means we admit that we haven't been who we should be. And so if you would, if you're open to it, open your hands as a sign of your open heart. And would you pray with me? Silently, you can say these words if you agree with them. Jesus, thank you for loving me even in the times when I was unlovable. Jesus, I confess that I have not been the person you created me to be. Jesus, I confess that sin has separated me from you. But I recognize this morning, Jesus, that, that you don't want to be separated, but that you call me friend. And that you bring me close, even in the midst of my failures. And that my failures don't change your love for me. So Jesus, and Father in heaven and Holy Spirit, I receive your grace 
into the spaces of failure in my life. And I pray, God, that I would be able to respond in a way that is gracious, that is filled with thanksgiving, and that is honorable to you. Jesus, this Christmas, would you reveal yourself to me in a new way? And I will receive you in a new way. You know, I, I don't want to leave with you uh, ever hearing the word failure about you. Because the truth is, uh, I didn't tell you the truth. Because I said we're all failures, and that's not true. We've all failed. But our identity is not that we are failures because of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Because, as you just saying, he came and redeemed your story, and now everything has changed. So let me tell you a little bit about this father in heaven. Because a good father does this. If you ask me about my kids... I'm not going to tell you about the times when they failed. I'm going to tell you about how much I love my kids and how amazing they are and how nothing could separate them from my love. So whatever you've been feeling through your life in the last week, in the last day, about your own sin and the times when you haven't been who you want to be, know this, that the grace of Jesus fills those spaces in your life. And your Father in heaven loves you so much. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.